A A reading from Galatians. Don't be under any illusion. You cannot make a fool of God. A man's harvest in life will depend entirely on what he sows. If he sows for his own lower nature, his harvest will be the decay and death of his own nature. But if he sows for the Spirit, he will reap the harvest of everlasting life by that Spirit. Let us not grow tired of doing good, for unless we throw in our hand, the ultimate harvest is assured. Let us then do good to all men as opportunity offers, especially to those who belong to the Christian household. The word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Well, hello. I appreciate that House of Mercy is willing to try something different and jump out onto the ledge, and sometimes they can fly. (laughs) I was born over six decades ago on April 22nd in San Antonio, Texas. Any true Texan, and certainly anyone who's lived in San Antonio, knows that I was born during Fiesta. Texas still celebrates Texas Independence Day, April 21st, and San Antonio is the one that does it upright, with a week-long celebration that includes the Battle of Flowers Parade, two more parades, and a parade of boats down the San Antonio River. There's lots of Tejano music, great food, celebration in the streets. My mom had to head to the hospital just as one of the parades was in full force. My uncle had to get the parade to stop to drive mom through the crowd. But she got to watch with me the torchlight parade that night from her hospital window. At least so I'm told. My mom and dad met through a mutual friend. Dad had a new job as a San Antonio bus driver. He'd recently returned from the war where he served in North Africa and Italy. Neither mom nor dad had much money, but being poor certainly doesn't prevent courtship. Mom would catch Dad's bus on his final circuit, and they would talk, visit, enjoy the ride together until the shift was done. Then they walked to the local cafe for coffee. They married that Christmas Eve. I didn't know, I didn't know myself until after they were both gone that I was the reason for that early wedding. Dad, unfortunately, lost his job driving the bus, but he... Got a good job offer from the Houston police, uh, Houston police no, Houston post office. Excuse me. <laughs> he first made the move to Houston, and Mom brought me later on, in, with the train, and we joined him in a garage apartment in the old Heights neighborhood in North Houston. It's surprising to me that they started regularly attending a neighborhood church. Dad's mom, my grandmother, Margaret Agnes O'Dwyer, had been Roman Catholic but she left the church to become a reader in the Christian Science Church. Mom and her teens had left her home in rural Alabama for Texas. She left behind an abusive marriage relationship and also her association with the Duck River Baptist Church. 
My grandfather was an itinerant preacher and the Sunday school teacher there. So in thinking about family religious history, it's a surprise to me that both parents would become such dedicated, long-time members of Berean Baptist Church. And my folks were faithful. We went to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening. We went back on Sunday evening and in the afternoon so we could catch the choir practice. We also went on Wednesday evening for the prayer service and Bible study. And some Tuesdays, we also went door-to-door on the neighborhood visitation program. This committed routine continued for me and my siblings until I graduated from high school and left Texas for college. Now, Brian Baptist Church was a fundamentalist, independent, not a Southern Baptist, that's a little liberal there, church, and uh, founded and built by a self-taught preacher, H. Frank Fort. Now, Fort had a remarkable memory for Scripture. His sermons were almost entirely the quoting of Scriptures, one after another. I tried to stay awake as a child by writing down the Scripture citations as quickly as the preacher gave them, but I seldom could keep up with the speed and the number of them. Among the church's teachings were no drinking except for wine. They actually serve wine with communion. No swearing, no dancing, no mixed bathing, no divorce. The Pope was the Antichrist, and children were to be spanked when disobedient. That teaching was pretty strictly adhered to. And we were a segregated church, but that was the rule for almost all churches in Houston and in Texas at that time. Brian Baptist grew to several hundred people, taking over most of a city block. And though the church was very legalistic, most of my memories from the time were being supported in a very loving community. In my last year in high school, I received an academic scholarship to McAllister. Mom felt it was quite clearly an answer to prayer as they had no money to help me go to school. We knew nothing about McAllister except for the material that the school supplied. It mentioned their long affiliation with the Presbyterian Church. That was comforting to the family, but the next four years certainly weren't what Mom had expected. (laughs) The experience at McAllister changed my life. It began a tremendous change in my view of the church and also my view of religion. My independence, natural curiosity, and hedonism, unhindered in any way by McAllister's casual and local parentis, sent me off in many new and unexpected directions. But the foundation was there. Though I subsequently fled the church many times, I kept an ongoing conversation with God in some very unlikely places. I've always had the experience God was present. I knew God was present and accompanying me not because of my beliefs, but oftentimes in spite of my beliefs. God showed up at amazing and unexpected times. And more and more frequently, the encounter brought me joy, not condemnation. We tend to think that joy is not only not properly religious, but that it is even the opposite of religion. I'm quoting Frederick Buechner here. We tend to think that religion is sitting stiff and antiseptic and a little bored, and the joy is laughter and freedom and reaching out to embrace the whole wide and preposterous world, which is so beautiful that sometimes it nearly breaks our hearts. We need to be reminded that at its heart, Christianity is joy, and that laughter and freedom and reaching out of arms are the essence of it. Let me pause to say that part of the reason 
that I came here was because I found good news here at the House of Mercy. Certainly, I found joy and laughter and freedom. Creativity is celebrated here and recognized as a spiritual gift. I've attended many churches in my lifetime, but unfortunately, joy has not been a common experience. And I think we all recognize that joy is not our culture's general appraisal of the Christian church. Special counsel to Richard Nixon, ex-convict and founder of Prison Fellowship, Chuck Colson, also recognized our culture's appraisal. He said, it is fair to say that Christians have not done a particularly good job. Often they have terrified their secular neighbors who see Christian political activism as either backwoods bigots or religious ayatollahs attempting to assault them with Bible verses and arrogantly assert that God says. That is the quickest way for Christians, a distinct minority in civil affairs, to lose their case altogether. So how should followers of Christ be doing our job? Didn't Jesus Christ leave us some instructions during his ministry? Yeah. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus left some pretty clear instructions, explicit, very countercultural, frightening. If we actually followed the directives, would there be so many critics of the church? Wouldn't we become good news in the eyes of many? May I suggest that it's past time to stop advertising the product and start being the product we are advertising? Some of you may have seen and read uh, the 2006 book by Alice Walker, We Are the Ones We've Been Waiting For. I really like that title. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the ones. What a statement to consider. And what are we waiting for? Have we been waiting for a unifying righteous leader to appear in the church? Are we expecting and praying for some righteous political leaders to come on the global scene who will lead us into a more peaceful and compassionate world? Are we casting about for someone to deliver us from the terrors and extremism that fill more and more streets and communities with hell? It is hell, isn't it? Isn't that what just happened in France? In his first book, Velvet Elvis, Rob Bell gave this perspective. Now, if there is a life of heaven, and we can choose it, then there's also another way, a way of living out of sync with how God created us to live. The word for this is hell, a way, a place, a realm absent of how God desires things to be. We can bring heaven to earth. We can bring hell to earth. Now, many of you are probably aware that, unfortunately, Rob Bell is considered a heretic by many in the church. But Bell's viewpoint on, in Velvet Elvis should not have been that surprising or that so difficult to accept. Over 60 years ago, well-known Christian apologist C.S. Lewis said something very similar in his classic work, Mere Christianity. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, 
all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven, that is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to one state or the other. Our aggregate choices that are being made by all humans on our planet, are those the choices responsible for the situations that now surround us? If the devil is present, isn't it because we've allowed or we have invited him in? In each of our numerous individual daily choices, could it be suggested that we are causing harmony or chaos, bringing heaven or hell to the planet? If so, it shines a brighter light on Alice Walker's comment, her statement, we are the ones we've been waiting for. There are some members of the church who suggest that we may indeed be actually the second coming of Christ. We do read in the Bible, Jesus said in his farewell address to his disciples, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now I'm assuming that we didn't reach the end of the age when the disciples died. Many of us trust that Jesus is still here with us. But another way of looking at the present is that Jesus is with us as much as we welcome and follow his instructions. But if we aren't alert, if we aren't conscious of where to fit those instructions in our daily choices, could it be, despite wanting things to get better, we often invite hell into the world by our unwitting decisions? The Franciscan friar, Richard Rohr, commented in his blog on the passage in Mark 13 where Jesus says to disciples, Be awake. Be alert. You do not know when the time will come. Rohr said, You see, Christ is always coming. God is always present. It's we who aren't. We're always somewhere else, or at least I often am. Jesus tells us to be conscious, to be awake, to be alert, to be alive. It's the key to all spirituality, because this is the one thing we aren't. Be honest, most of us live on cruise control. We just go through the motions of our daily routines. We wake up and repeat what we did the day before, and we're upset if there are any interruptions. But in fact, when God has the best chance of getting at us is in the gaps, in the discontinuities, in the exceptions, in the surprises. Do we go through the motions and fail to recognize the importance each of these daily motions have, not just on us, not just on our family, not just on our friends, but the entire world? Ansan Sukai was just recently in the news a lot. uh, But for those of you who aren't familiar with her, she was the winner of the 1991 Nobel Peace Prize. She led the National League for Democracy, the opposition in the military junta that had ruled Burma since 1962. She was inspired by Mahatma Gandhi. She opposed all use of violence and called on the military leaders to hand over their power to a civilian government. In the 1990 Burma election, 
Her party, the National League for Democracy, won a clear victory. But the generals prevented the legislature assembly from convening and instead arrested members of the NLD and refused to release Sue Key from house arrest. She was arrested in 1989, just before the election, and was not allowed to travel to Oslo when she was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. She remained a prisoner of conscience in her home until she was finally released in November 2010, and then in 2012 she was finally allowed to travel to Norway to accept the Nobel Peace Prize. In her speech, which is online and worth reading, she says, Every thought, every word, and every action that adds to the positive and the wholeness is a contribution to peace. Each and every one of us is capable of making such a contribution. Let, no, let us now join hands to try to create a peaceful world where we can sleep in security and wake in happiness. Do you need a Christian quote on that? John Wesley, one of the founders of the Methodist Church, the, the denomination that graciously used this building, was well known for his Christian piety, and he, he lived by a code that is now known as Wesley's Rule. And it is, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Not bad, huh? <laughs> Let me finish with a final comment. I didn't know until this morning <clears throat> that this past Friday was World Kindness Day. Pretty ironic, isn't it? The day was set up by the Random Acts of Kindness Foundation, which is an international nonprofit that was organized in 1985. Their purpose is to promote random acts of kindness. Now, that phrase was an often heard buzzword and seen on numerous bumper stickers in the mid 90s. Some of you probably remember that. But I personally prefer Dallas Willard's take on that. Dallas Willard, the longtime professor and chair, the Department of Philosophy at the University of Southern California said it this way, practice routinely purposeful kindnesses and intelligent acts of beauty. Practice routinely purposeful kindness and intelligent acts of beauty. Kyrie eleison. <laughs>